Uh, there's 25 of us. We split every commission equally, and that is absolutely unheard of in the real estate business. And we, we believe in that partnership approach it is the single biggest reason for our success. This is Can Do, a podcast that explores the essential lessons for business success. As the world continues to feel the effect of the coronavirus, uncertainty and unpredictability have become the status quo. It's never been more important to learn from entrepreneurs and industry experts about their experiences and to hear their advice. Whether you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or your career is affected by the current economic climate, lessons shared by our guests can help you make informed decisions about your future. I'm your host, Arnie Sherman. Montana gets a lot of attention in the national media these days. Whether it's about the highly watched Yellowstone series, the national parks, or the burgeoning upscale lifestyle that has led Bozeman, Montana to be referred to as Bose Angeles, everyone has an opinion about whether the changing landscape is good or bad. Montana is one of the fastest growing states in the country. The pandemic has fostered an escalating trend in remote work culture and Montana has become a favorite relocation destination. Between 2020 and 2021, the state grew by 1.7%. That's about 18,000 people in just one year. Who is really moving here? What does this mean for the local economy? What will the future hold for the last best place? Joining me today on Can Do for this complex conversation is Bill McDavid, director and real estate partner of Hall & Hall. Formed in 1946, this third-generation employee-owned company specializes in premium rural real estate services through 19 regional offices, mostly in the western states. Support for this episode of CADU is provided by the Dennis and Phyllis Washington Foundation, dedicated to investing in people to improve the quality of their lives. Additional support comes from the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. And Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer, a regional law firm with national experience representing the interests of Montana entrepreneurs and businesses. More information at ParsonsBailey.com. Okay. Good morning and welcome to the show, Bill McDavid. Where are you joining me from today? Uh, Just outside of Missoula, Montana. Great. Bill, you were raised... Between Alabama and the Cayman Islands, you worked as a fly fishing guide and the ranch hand when you were going to law school. You were a tribal prosecutor for the Crow tribe after law school. That's already a lot to know about you, but for our listeners, can you fill in the blanks? Well, as it relates to the real estate business, um, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I kind of, I got out of, uh, the law business. I was a prosecutor for the longest year of my life, and I I looked around and tried to figure out what I could do to, um, well, have a rewarding career that would enable me to feel like I'm doing something fun, but also give me the the money I needed to pay off my law school loans. And so, in Montana, uh, you know, you've got very few choices. You know, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer. I definitely was not going to be a doctor. Uh, and I didn't want to be a lawyer anymore, uh, or you can be a real estate broker. So I got into being a real estate broker, and that's how I got here. I don't know if those are the gaps you're wanting filled, but there's there's one. So, Bill, how'd you come to work specifically for Hall & Hall? 
When I got into the business, uh, I did what you have to do, which is just nuts and bolts, bread and butter, anything and everything you can do to, to make deals. And so I was working for a traditional firm in Missoula. Uh, I was, you know, doing everything from houses to bare land to whatever. I, I, I had always had a, a love for really beautiful, wild pieces of land. Um, and so I... I figured out early on that, that that's what I wanted to focus on. That's what would make it fun for me is to, to rather than, you know, show single family homes to be out on the range and, you know, looking out over beautiful places. And so I set my sights on that. I didn't really necessarily envision joining Hall and Hall. Uh, uh, I just looked to them as the model of, of doing, uh, they were doing what I wanted to do. And so the, First thing um, I knew being, you know, somebody from Alabama that had only been here a few years, a couple of years at that point, I was at a real disadvantage in that I didn't know any of the players. I didn't have a lifetime of history here, so I knew I had to, to get in front of the right people. And who are the right people? They're the people that own large ranches and farms in Montana and retreats. And so I uh, tapped into, um, before that, this is before the... Um, uh, the internet as we know it. Um, but I knew that there was a lot of public information out there that was available to me if I just dug for it. And so I contacted the tax assessor's office. Long story short, I was able to have them export for me a lot of data that enabled me to sort county by county who are the biggest landowners. And I started working towards having them know who I was. That ultimately led to me getting a big listing uh, which is now known as the ranch at Rock Creek. But, uh, but I brought that listing with me. Uh, I, I, Hall & Hall had a buyer for that, a potential buyer. I showed it with one of the partners, and there began a process of interviews that led to me getting extended a, a partnership offer, which I readily accepted. And you've been doing that now since 1996? Correct. Fall of, I think it was late summer of 96, I accepted the position. So tell me a little bit more about Hall & Hall. What, what's the company's focus? What's their mission? What's their mantra? Well, the thing that makes our company stand out from others, um, and, and this is incidentally uh, uh, on a comic level, this is the reason why my father told me, who's been in real estate forever, by the way, when I told him about the way this firm is organized, he said, son, don't ever take that. That'll never work. You can't do that. <laughs> Naturally, I immediately accepted the job once my dad told me not to. And, and what did he say they were doing that you, that can't be done? Well, what I explained to him uh, is this unique partnership model uh, we have at Hall & Hall. And we are, to my knowledge, the only firm like it in the nation or maybe the world uh, that strays uh, a long ways away from the traditional business model of real estate. You know, the traditional model is... I don't care if you've got two agents in an office or 2,000 agents in an office. There's only one or two people that get paid on a given deal. Uh, you got a listing agent uh, and or a buyer agent. Uh, those folks get paid where everybody else in the office doesn't have a stake in that success of that deal. You know, obviously the brokerage itself gets a cut, but whoever owns the brokerage gets the piece of that. But so what Hall & Hall does is we have 20, now we've grown to 25 partners spread from here in Missoula, Montana, all the way down to 
the Mexican border at Laredo, Texas. And we have, uh, there's 25 of us. We split every commission equally among everybody. doesn't matter if you showed it, sold it, listed it, or if you weren't involved at all, you get the same paycheck as the guy who did. And that is absolutely unheard of in the real estate business, uh, which is, you know, traditionally just an, an eat what you kill business. Um, and we, we believe in that partnership approach it is the single biggest reason for our success. Um, and it, and it works for everybody. It works for us, works for sellers, works for buyers. It's just a win-win all the way around the table. It's fascinating that everyone shares equally in the profits of the company, regardless of their position. It would bring to me the question, what about somebody who's not carrying their weight? What about if somebody who is, uh, um, you know, a drag on the organization? How does that factor in and how, how is that handled by the organization? If we can help it on the front end, and, and by front end, I mean, it is, it, it's fairly, let's face it, in the real estate business, it's a fairly open door or maybe a revolving door even to get hired as a real estate broker, it, it's, it's, it's not hard. You take a test, you get your license, and you go hang your license with an existing brokerage and you either sink or swim. Uh, we have, uh, as you can imagine, given the model, uh, we have a, um, a, a very, a much higher level of interest in seeing the success of our partners because we have to share with them equally. And so on the front end, uh, it's just a lengthy interview process, multiple interviews. We want to basically know not only that somebody's capable and competent, because that's not all it takes to, to be a partner at Hall & Hall. You've also got to have that partner mentality, that team mentality, and the belief that, that in the end, it all comes out in the wash. Uh, so we, we really... Uh, pay close attention to who we're going to extend a partnership to. Uh, and there have been, I'm not going to say there haven't been a couple of occasions over the years where we've had to make some adjustments uh, based upon um, production or lack thereof. But, uh, but all in all, we've been pretty good at, at picking winners. And you offer a whole assortment of services for rural land owners and land buyers, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, you, you asked about what we focus on, and, and I guess I should define that a little bit. Um, we, we have a, a saying internally that, that doesn't roll off the tongue very easily, but it is investment quality rural real estate. <laughs> that is what we focus on. Uh, generally, values you know range from, oh, it's we're still doing deals that are in the million plus range, but, but most of our deals are far in excess of that. I, I suppose the average is probably around 8 million uh, with some deals going up uh, into the hundreds of millions. Um, but, but you asked about the, uh, the other arms of our services. Yeah, those are really complementary business lines to our brokerage. We have um, um, what we refer to internally as LAM, L-A-M, which stands for Loans, Appraisals, and Management. Uh, the management is a real key piece of, of, of that in that insofar as a lot of people who are looking to buy one of these uh, places, they have very little, perhaps no, no experience with owning something that is of the magnitude that these places are. It takes a lot to wrap your head around what it takes to, to um, be a steward of, of, a, of a major land holding. And so 
I think without our management division, some people would probably feel a little bit overwhelmed and run back to wherever they came from um, because they just would feel like they were out of water. But we try to make it easy by offering those management services. Let's talk a little bit about Montana. Why do you think are people moving here? Same reason they've always been moving here. I mean, I know it's accelerated greatly, which we can talk about. Everybody knows why. I mean, that's the pandemic. But uh, but why do people move here? Um, breathing room, in a couple of words, that's it. I mean, you could talk about all the other stuff that comes under that umbrella. You know, that would be fresh air. That would be um, uh, wildlife, beautiful views, um, cold cold water and pure, you know, clear water, all of that. But I think at the end of the day, what people really want is to lower the population density that surrounds them. So that's why buyers are buying, but why are sellers selling? Oh, that's um, all the usual reasons. I mean, the kind of the typical story uh, is we're... We're getting older. The kids are not coming here as much. Uh, we don't. Have, it's too much for us to manage. It's time to write a new chapter. That's that's why people are selling now. There's you know you got two basic buckets that sellers fall into. Um, one would be the multi generational rancher that is oftentimes land rich, cash poor, um, and then you've got the 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 resales, which are people who bought you know, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. And they came for certain reasons and they lived, they lived out those dreams and fantasies. And then, um, but in both cases, it's, it's typically the same motivation. You know, there's, uh, in the case of the first bucket, it would be, well, we're getting older. Uh, the kids who, you know, traditionally ranches get taken over by the younger generation of a family and then they carry the torch forward. But a lot of times these days, those kids have gone off and, you know, gone to college or done whatever, and they don't, they're not going to come back to the ranch and run the ranch. So the older generation really has no choice to, but to, to let it go. Um, as for the second group, uh, uh, you know, yeah, the, life changes, you know, life changes, time to do something different. What are the issues facing your clients on both sides of the sale these days? You alluded to the COVID epidemic, there obviously is fluctuations in the economy. So right today, what, what are the kind of issues that you're grappling with as you deal with buyers and sellers? Uh, I'll start with buyers. Um, the issues with buyer, the biggest issue of the day is, is inventory or lack thereof. I mean, we've got um, people standing in line with cash in hand that paint this picture of what they want. And of course, that picture is the same as what everybody else wants. Stuff we've already talked about, you know, trout, trout jumping on the porch and elk running across the lawn every morning and, and you know, while you sip your coffee. And uh, those, those types of things just don't grow on trees uh, as big as Montana is. Um, there, there's just not enough to go around. And a lot of that inventory has been gobbled up in the last couple of years during this pandemic frenzy. And so we're really struggling to to get buyers what they want. Um, the struggle for sellers uh, is, you know, if you're, if you're just looking to liquidate, 
then there isn't much of a struggle other than whatever emotions you might be grappling with with the sale of this place that you probably love. But, you know, you're, you really don't have an issue. You're going to put it on the market or in many cases not even put it on the market because we do a lot. Of, we've done, I think last year we did a billion dollars in completely off-market deals. Just people came to us, said, hey, I want to sell, but I don't want to make a splash. We pick up the phone. We call the buyers we know. They come, they buy, and it never gets advertised anywhere. Um, but so, so that obviously doesn't raise an issue about market time or any of that. Same with if you go, if you go publicly on the market, it's just, you know, you got showings um, at the drop of a hat. So the, the biggest issue comes up when you've got, or, or one of the big issues comes up when, you know, everybody wants to defer taxes as much as you can. So if you want to use the 1031, uh, Section 1031 vehicle, uh, then uh, you, you've got to be a buyer. So it's great to be a seller, but as I've already said, it's tough to be a buyer right now. So, you know, great. You've got a ranch that's worth uh, 5 million or 10 million bucks. And if you want to avoid the taxes on the gain, you've got to be able to turn around and spend that money within six months um, to be able to defer those taxes. And it's just, it's hard to find the replacement. You talk about low inventory. That's not being, and a lot of buyers. That's not being affected by the economy, by interest rates or any of that. Is this, is this sector immune from all of that? Relatively speaking, it is immune. Um, obviously, the people that are buying, you know, that are buying single family homes, I mean, they are very reliant on interest rates and, and how that relates to what they can afford. Uh, our, the, the buyers that are running in this sphere of people that we're dealing with, uh, they're, it's not that they're not borrowing money. It's just that they don't have to borrow money. Uh, they're oftentimes, you know, they're contracting for cash as if it's a cash deal. And then they, they decide they want to keep their money working. So then they do a loan either concurrent with closing or right after they close, they, you know, they just, they fund it with cash and then they turn around and borrow money. So to that extent, um, if, if the loan terms are not attractive enough, then, you know, they won't get a loan. And I suppose some people might be thwarted from, from buying, but, um, anyway, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. How have things changed for you and how has the business changed since you started in 96? I remember in 96, we were still writing hard copy letters and signing them with a pen and putting them in a ma in the mailbox and, and, and faxing. And, and so tech technology, of course, I suppose that's the stock answer. Technology has changed everything dramatically. Some of that is for the better and some of the worse, uh, some is for the worse. I mean, it's, you know, one thing that is challenging, I know for a lot of people in this business is, and, and, and other businesses, I'm sure, is just the expectation of immediate availability. And, you know, I, what, I forget what the time frame is, but, you know, there was some some chart I saw that 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 listed the, the time frames that are considered acceptable for when, how long you have to respond. And I think text messages, it was like, boy, if you don't respond within 90 seconds, then, you know, you're at risk. <laughs> yeah, somebody's sending you little question marks, like, where are you? Right, right, exactly. Exactly. I'm speaking with Bill McDavid, Director and Real Estate Partner of Hall & Hall. Support for this episode of Can Do is provided by Montana Rail Link 
committed to safely delivering transportation solutions to their customers and partners. Additional support comes from the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. And Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer, a regional law firm with national experience representing the interests of Montana entrepreneurs and businesses. More information at ParsonsBailey.com. I've been here a little more than 25 years. You've been here a little bit longer than that. The entire time I've been here, locals have complained about the, about the Californication of Montana, even to the point where Bozeman is now called Bos Angeles. What is behind the phenomena? And, it's, and is it unique to Montana? Or do you find this kind of conversation in other places that you're selling properties? There's no monopoly on that in Montana. You know, change is the only constant, as they say. And I grew up in Alabama, as you stated earlier. Um, the Alabama that I grew up in doesn't exist anymore. Now, some of that is for the better, <laughs> um, for sure. But, uh, but there's some uh, romantic, um, uh, there's some nostalgic uh, ideas I have about my childhood in Alabama that don't exist anymore. You know, the lake house we used to go to, now you go down there and that's all these multi-million dollar homes and it's just not the old cabin with the creaky screen, uh, screen door. Um, but, uh, I, you know, when you use the term uh, Californication, uh, I think what that really encapsulates is the frustration that people feel, where, whether it be Montana or elsewhere, not just that others are coming here, but that others are coming here and trying to turn it into where they came from. And that is something I can identify with um, uh, on, on one hand. And on the other hand, I've always been puzzled by people who complain about uh, the out-of-staters coming in here and running up the property values. And, and you know, it's that just seems odd to me to blame the outsiders for the value of real estate. I mean, in other words, it takes two to tango. You got to have a buyer and a seller. And I don't know really many sellers that say, well, in the interest of the public good in Montana staying the way that, it, that I want it to stay, I'm going to sell my property for 25% of its market value you know, to preserve the good old days. I mean, nobody does that. And so it's just, you know, it's always seemed more fitting to me. If you want to blame somebody, blame, blame sellers. I mean, that would be silly in its own right. But how could you blame somebody for coming here, visiting this place, witnessing all that it offers, and then and them concluding, wow, I'd really love to own a piece of this. I mean, that just seems only natural. Let me ask you this. What has been the effect of a show like Yellowstone on the market? And, you know, and the perception of Montana, you know, for better or for worse. What, what kind of impact has that had? Uh, on some level, I guess uh, Yellowstone show is like uh, the new river runs through it. Um, in terms of the impact it's having on Montana being in vogue, um, I watch that show and I wonder why would anyone ever want to come here? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's just a show. So I, I guess it's not meant to be an accurate, I hope it's not meant to be an accurate depiction of what life is in Montana because it is not an accurate depiction of what life is in Montana. But I am puzzled when, I, I mean, everybody who gets in the truck brings up the show. 
you know, when we go right. out looking at ranches, I mean, it, it, it is a topic of conversation uh, that is omnipresent. And uh, I, you know, it, it's just a thing. I mean, I, I, I was a lot more romanced by River Runs Through It personally than the, uh, all of the fighting and murders and, you know, everything that goes on on Yellowstone. <laughs> But but anyway, uh, one thing that comes up in, in business that I hear so often is, oh, oh, back in the good old days when you did business on a handshake deal, you know, when, you're, when your word was your bond and all of that. And yeah, I'm sure there's some truth to the, to the, to the old days. Maybe it was a little easier to do business on a handshake, but it's, it's not so black and white. I mean, we've got a uh, a wake of case law going back to old England that proves that the handshake was not, there was never a time when the handshake was always the right solution. <laughs> you know, I mean, plenty of, plenty of case law to illustrate otherwise. Bill, what are the pros and cons of the high dollar boom for the average Montanan? Folks are coming in and buying these, you know, billion dollars worth of, ranch properties and they're coming in and and you maybe you're helping them manage these properties or keep them going but for the average montana what, what what's the uh what's the good news from all of this i the best news that immediately comes to my mind is uh you know you look back to one of the first major deals that raised eyebrows and that would be ted turner buying the flying d down there between bozeman and, and big sky so one could get upset about this uh, out-of-state mogul coming in and buying this huge ranch. Uh, but I think the, the better view is to look at what would happen to these places if they were not protected by, by private ownership, meaning, meaning uh, a, a singular steward. So what is the alternative, in other words? The alternative is sprawling subdivision. And personally, you know, the, the classic complaint you hear is, oh, well, out-of-staters come in and they shut down the public access as if everybody had the right uh, and opportunity to hunt on private ranches anywhere they so well pleased back in the days when they were rent, Montana ranches were owned by Montanans. And I think that's an inaccurate recollection or, or depiction of what it really was. But um, so so but let's just take that worst case scenario that, OK, so let's just imagine that all these places get shut down from public hunting. Well, yeah, that sucks. But again, it's better that uh, than than the alternative, which is a sprawling subdivision in, in my book. I mean, and that's not to say that I'm anti I don't want to be perceived as anti growth. I mean, people are moving here. We do have to have development to accommodate those people, particularly we need. You know, I know there's a lot of talk in Missoula about Missoula, Montana, about the workforce housing. And I know we have a shortage of that, but I just I don't want to see personally uh, just a free for all on development anywhere and everywhere. where Because a lot of these places deserve to be protected because of all that they offer for wildlife and views and open space and all that. Are there any differences between working with premium property buyers and, you know, your real estate career before that with, you know, doing more of the average, uh, you know, home buying and selling? 
let me make sure I understand the question. You're, are there any differences between like where I started with doing the single family home deal versus the bigger stuff? Yeah, well, yeah. The difference is working with a premium buyer as opposed to a typical average person who's just coming to Montana to, to buy a home or somebody who's already living here and, you know, looking to, to get another place. Yeah, I would say the differences lie in the, you know, it, the real estate business, like many businesses, is a relationship business. You have to develop and maintain relationships with a large sphere of people that are going to be your clients. And and in the uh, typical real estate business, let's say, where you're selling single family homes or um, things along those lines, the timeline is much uh, shorter from when a person shows up in your office and says, I want to buy a house to when you close that deal. That's a fairly short period of time. For what we do, uh, the relationship aspect is is probably a little more important to foster and maintain that because of the timeline. I mean, I have worked with some people for a period of many years before they ever bought anything. And so, you know, that, that requires a lot of patience and dedication to just maintaining that relationship and making sure that you're staying on top of uh, everything that might be a fit for that person. So I have a story to share with you. A number of years ago, I was invited to the stock farm, Charles Schwab's real estate development in, outside of Hamilton, Montana. It's got a golf course and other uh, upscale amenities. And I was invited in by one of the members. And after playing golf, we was sitting in the clubhouse and uh, there was a group at the table next to me. And uh, I could tell by their freshly ironed and starched jeans that they weren't the locals. And uh, one of the women at the table said to the other woman, you know, I love coming here. The villagers are so friendly. (laughs) I've always remembered that. So we've alluded to this affordable housing issue. So what can be done? This is a broader question, but you need people who can, you know, work on these ranches. These ranches are part of communities. They need the community to be there to support them. You know, what can be done for the villagers in Montana to, to make their lives more comfortable? Somebody smarter than me is going to have to answer that question. I mean, as for the affordable housing issue, uh, I, I, you know, that's not really my game. And, and I don't want to pretend that it is, but I, 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 I'm only recognizing that that is a major issue. And I, it's one that I would like to see a problem I would like to see solved because it's important. Uh, I, I wish I had the solution, but it's just, you know, how I spend my days by the nature of what I do. That's not what I'm able to focus on. So I know that you're a wildlife photographer and you've had pictures published in uh, National Geographic, that you're, um, you're a fly fishing guide and you, know, you love the outdoors. But I do want to ask you about your hot yoga practice <laughs> and how has that actually helped you in your career work? If you're leading a healthy lifestyle, I just think it makes you uh, function better. I mean, that's to that's just short and a short and sweet answer right there. I mean, I I can't say that that practicing yoga has 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 brought me closer to my clientele or anything like that. I mean, there might, you know, here and there, maybe I'll run into a client that, that does it too. And then there's a connection point. But, uh, 
but I would say it's just uh, it's just kept me physically uh, on a on a level that that you know makes it so when I'm out showing a ranch and I've got to take a hike with a client to go look over that ridge that I'm not huffing and puffing by the time I get to the top. So, Bill, what does the future look like for you? On a business level, um, I guess I would expect just more of the same. And so by more of the same, uh, I expect there to be ups and downs. Uh, you know, I've lived through in my business uh, at least three major uh, market um, hiccups, although that's putting it mildly in a, a case or two. There was the dot-com bust and, of course, 9-11 and then the financial crisis and all of that. And so inevitably, there's going to be another down. I mean, we've been riding high now for a lot of years and everybody expects a downturn, but it's the downturn that never seems to come. But we all know it's coming. What goes up must come down. But we survive. Um, I don't think anything is going to change about the desirability of Montana, at least not in my lifetime, considering how how much space we have left, so to speak. I mean, you look at the population density of a state like Colorado, uh, and it's infinitely higher than Montana. I mean, we've got like, what is it, a million one in the state, and it's an absolutely huge state. So um, I, I don't know. I, I think um, it's growing, but uh, there's still room. Uh, on a personal level, I, I, you know, the business, this business is such that you are either all in or you are out. There is no, I mean, there is a reason why, whatever that saying is, that 10% of the people are making 90% of the deals. Um, and it's probably a, a even more skewed percentage than that. And and you just can't be in this business part-time and expect to 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 achieve a high level of success. And so what that means on a personal level is it is extremely demanding. And, you know, for for people like myself who like to uh, travel um, and have perhaps one too many hobbies, uh, I, I do uh, look forward to a day uh, when when I have some more time for those things. But that it's clear to me that can only happen uh, whenever it is that I decide this is no longer fun uh, and, uh, and I want to retire. So those, those days will come sooner or later, but for now I'm still clipping along. Bill, thanks so much for joining me today. It's great hearing about your career, your work, your perspective on Montana and wish you continued success in the future. Thank you very much, Arnie. I appreciate your listening to Can Do, produced by Lena Beck in association with Montana Public Radio. For comments, recommendations for future guests, or general information, please go to mtpr.org. There you'll find previous guest contact information and content from all our shows. Listen next time for our 104th episode and my last can-do show. I will recount highlights and lessons learned over the past five years. I'm Arnie Sherman, wishing you good health and prosperity.